Well, good morning again. We are happy that you chose to join us this morning, and I apologize for our technical difficulties. Um, again, we're not televangelists. We don't do this, and so this is all new to us as well. We appreciate your patience. Um, a number of you have been uh, sending me texts and encouraging us, and, and I, I just want to tell you we appreciate that because we're doing, we're doing everything we can, and uh, we are happy that you appreciate that. Um, you don't know this, but usually I plan out my sermon calendar a year in advance. Um, just the way I do things, there's not a right or wrong that, that different preachers do it different ways. But um, usually sometime at the end of the summer, I take some time and I find a place to, to get away and and I kind of clear my mind, and, and there'll be a lot of prayer and a lot of fasting and a lot of this kind of stuff where I'm seeking God. What, what do you want to say to your people right now? And uh, I'm not saying that I have a bright light or a divine intervention, but that's just the way I do it. And so uh, almost a year ago, I planned out my calendar. And you always plan to start a new series on the Sunday after Easter so that some of your folks that may only show up that time of year or maybe uh, checking it out for the first time will pique their interest and they'll come back. And so we're starting a new series this morning. And the series that I had planned to start was Sabbath. We were calling it Sabbath um, about finding rest for your soul. Now, I had no way of knowing at the time I was preparing this that we would all be stuck in our houses. It's like God said, uh, well, since y'all are all going to be home anyway, let me talk to you about this uh, right now. Because we live our lives on overdrive. We, we work, we move, we are, are always running at this frenetic pace. In our society, it's almost like a, a, a successful life is filled with activity and with busyness. That the more we're going, the more we're moving, the, 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 the more we're uh, involved, the more we're running around, the better off we are. And that's the way we seem to, to live. And after a while, it starts to catch up with us. It, it becomes a, a violent enterprise, almost a war, if you will. See, we make, we make war on our own bodies because our bodies can't keep this pace up. We make war on our families because in our busyness, we don't find enough time to interact with one another. We make war on our relationships, on our marriages, because we're both involved with our own careers and our own hobbies and our own interests, and we don't find time for one another. We make war on our, on our community because we don't really get involved with one another in one another's lives because we don't have time to slow down. We make war on our spirit because we can't find time to stop. We're forever busy. The Chinese have a, a pictograph for the word busy, and, and the Chinese pictograph for the word busy it consists of two characters, heart and death. Because busyness is a heart killer. It kills our spirit. We understand that. Thomas Merton writes, there's a pervasive form of contemporary violence, activism, and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. 
The frenzy of our own activity neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. That's powerful. When you start thinking about this idea that our busyness is crushing some of our spirit. In his book, Garden City, John Mark Comer writes, Work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, you will never learn how to work well. So the question is, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where success is defined by my busyness? How did we get to this place where I have so many things going on, I don't have time to even take a break? Where did we get to this place? How did we get to this place where it's almost shameful? We feel embarrassed to take a rest. Well, this morning I want to submit to you, we have forgotten the Sabbath. See, Sabbath is this ancient idea. It's this ancient practice of intentional rest. Sabbath is not new, but, but I will say I think it's new to us in America today. Sabbath is more than a feast day. It's more than a holiday. It's more than a day off. It's more than a good idea. Sabbath is a commandment. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, we would all be aghast if we knew a Christian who somehow suggested that disobeying or deliberately excluding the obedience of one of the Ten Commandments was somehow excusable. Except for number four. The rest of them, they're important. You go to Exodus 20. And if you go to Exodus 20 and you begin to read through the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, whether you're religious or not, they make sense. That They do. That They make sense. He says, don't make things gods that aren't God. Because if you do, that thing, whatever it is, is not going to be able to bear the weight of that, of, of your expectations. And it's going to, to collapse, and it's going to harm you and everyone around you. So if you make your spouse your God, that goes bad. If you make your, your money your God, that goes bad. If you make your children your God, that goes bad. We could go on and on and on. If you make something God that's not God, it cannot hold the weight of that, and it's going to collapse. It's going to betray you. It's going to destroy you. And that's the first commandment. Now, that's the Jeff paraphrased version. But but the actual first commandment, you shall have no other God before me, it makes sense. We go on, don't be a liar. That makes sense. We go on to leave your neighbor's wife alone. That makes sense. Be content with what you have. Don't try to go after things that don't belong to you. So, so if you read through them, it's, it's good advice. It makes sense. And you're reading through it and you're going, okay, okay, I, I understand that that makes sense that God would be concerned about that. I'm, I'm really grateful that, that God gave those tablets to Charlton Heston so that I can learn to live a better life. I, I see why God's concerned about that. Except when you get to verse 8. Verse 8 stands out as a little bit peculiar to me. That God would be concerned 
about this. So, so there are all these great ethical themes. And, and, and then he stops and he says, for six days you'll work and on the seventh day you won't. Not only will you not work, but your sons and daughters won't work and your servants won't work and your animals won't work and no one will work for God created for six days and rested on the seventh day. Now, even that last part creates theological problems for me. God doesn't get tired. So God works through creation, and then he has to take a nap? That doesn't make sense. It's peculiar. Because God is concerned with all these other ethical problems, and now he's worried about the weekend? It doesn't make sense. And then if you follow this, if you really want to do a word study and pursue this, he gets into Leviticus, and he gets really serious. Leviticus chapter 23 and 24, he literally tells Israel, if you will not stop, if you will not rest, if you will not celebrate, surely I will destroy you. So this is important. And we've kind of lost some of what's happening here. You know, when I was a kid, Sabbath was, was Sunday in our house, and, and it just meant you weren't doing anything. You weren't supposed to do anything. You were just supposed to sit there. You were just, you know, you'd say, can I go over to Johnny's house? No, it's the Sabbath. You're going to sit there and you're going to think holy thoughts. It is the Lord's day and you're going to rejoice and be glad in it whether you want to or not. And, and it didn't make any sense to me. Sabbath was, was where you just don't do anything. But that biblically is not the idea. It's more than that. The Sabbath, that fourth commandment, is the bridge. It's the bridge between the first three commandments, which involve honoring and worshiping God, and the last six, which involve our relationship with one another. The Sabbath is the bridge. It's the connective tissue that holds all that together. See, Jesus comes, and Jesus never abrogates, cancels, or annuls the Sabbath. He doesn't say, I've come, and so now the Sabbath's gone. He says, I've come, and I want you to understand the Sabbath is more than what these religious leaders have made it. It's not some kind of legalistic bond or, 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 or shackle that's supposed to be upon you. It's supposed to be a blessing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 2. And Mark 2, starting at verse 23 we see Jesus questioned about the Sabbath. Read along with me. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. It was intended to be a blessing. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to be a blessing, a gift to us. Dan Allender writes, Sabbath is not about time off or a break in routine. It's not a mini vacation to give us a recharge so we're better prepared to go back to work. The Sabbath is more than a diversion. It's meant to be an encounter with God's delight. See, Sabbath is more than just a single day of the week. Sabbath is more than just uh, setting aside a day and putting up all these legalistic constraints. Sabbath is a state of being. 
It's, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's a, it's, it's a worldview. It's a paradigm. If, if busyness can become a kind of violence, we, we don't have to stretch our perceptions very far to see that Sabbath can bring healing from that violence. When we create space to listen to the still small voice, then we remember the inner root of wisdom that makes our work fruitful. See, without rest, we respond in survival mode. And and so we're so busy, we're moving so fast, that every single thing that comes at us gains in importance. If you're going 100 miles an hour on a motorcycle, even a small rock in the road can be a deadly threat. And it's the same thing in our lives. We get to going so fast, we're doing so much, that everything that comes at us becomes a monumental thing. And everything seems more urgent than it is, and we respond in this sloppy desperation. Jesus says the Sabbath is a gift, not a burden. Jesus says the Sabbath is a respite, not a responsibility. It's a blessing. The idea that humanity was made for the Sabbath, though, continues to be a a theology that we all live by. God is, is, is in that mindset known as holy, and therefore we humans have to achieve a certain level of holiness through, through following the laws or through practicing ritual purity or, or whatever, and we make ourselves acceptable to God. Unfortunately, that's not scriptural. That's not the theology of the Bible. In, in our, our theology, Jesus says here that Sabbath was made for man. In that sense, God is, is a God of love, and the laws and the purity rituals are for humanity's own good. They're ways that we respond to God's grace with gratitude. We respond to God's nature by trying feebly to achieve that on our own. If we want to destroy, if we want to restore the divine rhythm of work and rest laid out by God, we have to find Sabbath. If we're going to get there, if we want to find the peace that our souls crave and long for, we have to find Sabbath. So how do we find Sabbath? Where do we find Sabbath? When do we stop? When do we breathe? I think if you don't say, this is the day, this is the day we're going to do it, then you're never going to do it. Because stuff has a way of of violently, again, crashing into our lives. Some of us are going to have a difficult time with this because we have, have affiliated our own self-worth with our busyness. And so it's hard for us to take a break. There are some of us who are too addicted to connection. And, and it's going to feel wrong that you can't tweet that you're Sabbathing. It's going to feel wrong that you can't post on Facebook all the ways that you're Sabbathing. You giggle, but, but just try it and watch it as it starts to woo you, as it starts to call to you. And I'm sorry, but that's addiction. Sometimes we have to be able to put those things aside and Sabbath, and we have to do it intentionally. So when are we going to do it? Well, You've got to figure out how to do it. You've got to figure out when to do it. You've got to figure out how to rest in the Lord. And it's going to be different for everybody. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Abraham Heschel is a rabbi, and he says it this way, A man who works with his hands will Sabbath with his mind. But a man who works with his mind will Sabbath with his hands. 
Think about that for a minute because it makes sense. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness because our God is this Zeus-like God that's sitting up here uh, strict, uptight, waiting to pounce on us every single day. Maybe we need to repent because we've been trying to earn what was freely given instead of celebrating and resting in the grace of God. See, Sabbath's not a suggestion. Are you tracking with me? Sabbath is not a suggestion. You need it. I need it. We need it. He doesn't say five days you'll work and two days you'll rest for those of you type A accomplishers. He, he says six days you'll work and one you'll rest. Six days is plenty to work. So we've got to start being intentional. How do we Sabbath? How do we find rest? And, and I, I'm going to say, husbands, this falls on you. Fathers, this falls on us. As the head of the household, as the spiritual leader of your household, your job is to set that up, is to find a way to do that. Um, and it's hard. If we don't intentionally try to do it, life's just going to sweep us away. And as we look at finding Sabbath, we've been given a blessing right now because our families are all together. We're all at a place where we, we kind of have to Sabbath. And so... Over the next few weeks, as, as we're talking about this, we're going to look at rest. We're going to look at how do we find rest for our souls? How do we find Sabbath? We're going to look at rhythm, how God instituted this natural rhythm between work and rest, and how when that rhythm gets out of sync, it messes us all up. We're going to look at delight, at wonder, at awe, that... that that these are worshipful terms, and we find those by actually stopping and delighting in what God has given us. That God wants to hear us laugh and play, just like any father wants to hear from his children. My prayer for you through this journey is that we're going to learn to Sabbath. And so, as we move forward in this, over this next week, I want you to start seeking God. Ask God, how can you Sabbath? How can you rest? What would God have you do that would bring rest to your soul? How can you lead your family in finding rest as a unit? How can you uh, seek God and learn to rest in Him? How can we see all His, his mercies and, 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 and all these things? And, and I pray that in this, this all points us to the cross. It all points us back to Jesus, to that empty tomb, and that as as we find our rest, we find our strength and our vitality and our hope there. And that we truly see God. We truly hear God in our Sabbath. Let's pray together.